No, we haven't done a proper salawat. The Prophet hasn't approved, huh? All right, we'll redo it. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een Wa alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Dear viewers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Today, the 1st of December 2010 Corresponding to the 24th of Zilhaj 1431 is indeed a very, very historic occasion for us. That is the board of the Al-Ansar Foundation and the Al-Ansar TV production in collaboration with ITV. It is historic because it is the very first occasion that we are commencing with a documentary on certain very important topics that emerge from the essential message of the Qur'an authored by a world-renowned scholar and Sufi master, Sheikh Fadlullah al-Hayri. And the second is that we could not have been more blessed than on this occasion to have the presence of Sheikh Fadlullah al-Hayri in person to tell us about these topics. So I turn to our distinguished guest, Sheikh Fadlullah al-Hayri, uh, most welcome to this first program of Al-Ansar TV and also uh, we appreciate your presence here very much. Thank uh, you, Hafiz Abu Bakr. I am honored and delighted to be with you and with whoever else will listen and participate yes. in your work and in your endeavors. I am delighted to be here. Sheikh, uh, before we commence with these topics, uh, if you would tell us a little bit about I read with some fascination your book, The Son of Karbala. Uh, I know it's, it's in great detail, but uh, just for a minute or two about your birthplace, which is Karbala. And also, if uh, Fadlullah means the grace of God, then what is the meaning of Al-Hayri? My uh, family originates from northwest of Iran near where uh, this Dagestan. And uh, some six generations ago, one of the members of that family decided to go to Iraq to study. And Karbala and Najaf were amongst the important centers. So Ha'iri means close to the shrine of Imam Hussein. Ha'ir means around that. Okay. So there will be Ha'iri and also their origin. In this case, will be Mazandarani. So about 1860, one of the members of the family went there, and I am the sixth generation, if you like, from that family. Um, you asked about my background. I grew up in modern Iraq, and I went on scholarship to Britain to study science, engineering, and soon I found out that I have an impulse or a drive to find out why is it that we have the best of the teachings, but we are not in our day-to-day -day life uh, content, happy, centered, secure, uh, and also open in a worldwide sense. Uh, I grew up, like many of you people mm -hmm. also, uh, endowed with a decent simple, uh, happy upbringing. 
But then I wanted to know what is it that went wrong or what is it that we didn't do. So my interest really was in the Quran and in the way of the Prophet and in the Deen. Uh, after my first, if you like, initial encounters in the West, graduation and working in the oil companies. So that became a hobby that took over, mm -hmm. in a sense. Uh, and uh, I maintained my outer interest in the world and awareness of the material side, but more and more interested in the subtler parts that rule the entire universe. So I think I represent many, many people who have this drive to combine the seen and the unseen, to combine what the mind tells us and also follow the heart and to live in a balanced way. I followed your, uh, your book, uh, Son of Karbala, and <clears throat> really that uh, experience over five continents and your meetings, various Sufi masters, great scholars, in itself merits a complete and a separate documentary. Inshallah, we will work on that as well. I'd like, amongst the many, many books that you have written, uh, one of which is the essential message of the Qur'an, and perhaps you could elaborate for us, the, the viewers, of Allah's nur and the beginning. Having had a, a real love and uh, delight and benefits from the Qur'an, I thought that a book like this would be helpful to non-Muslims, to anybody. It's not as part of da'wah or proselytization. It's part of sharing, if you like, human heritage. Mm -hmm. When we say it's rahmatan al-alameen, it implies anything that is revealed, anything that is descended upon human beings, it is part of human heritage. So I wanted to make it easy for those who are not born in the culture or in the Islamic way of life or whatever. And the, uh, in a way, the program or the table of content in that book represents, if you like, a certain uh, chronological flow. So it starts with original light, the equivalent of the Big Bang. You know, there must have been some aspect, some energy, some essence billions of years ago. But we also know that uh, there is a beginning in this universe and there is an end to this universe as we know it. There is a beginning to every human being and an end. But there is a birth and there is death. So I wanted to elaborate that all of what we imagine or look for, whether it is astrophysical in the uh, heavens or whether it is in the subatomic world, they're all manifestations of a sacred light. And that is why we have these wonderful ayahs also, especially like Allahu nuru samawati wal ard and so on. So uh, that starting is a chronological one in that in truth there is that sacred light, divine light, Allah's light. Uh, from that light comes visible light, comes rainbows, come colors, come shades, and comes the material existences which interchange with energy. So I wanted to start by, if you like, putting the foundation of existence, that all of it is based on that truth. Would that be cosmology of the universe emanating from the nur? Correct. Yes. Whatever there is that known and unknown emanates from that sacred light. Therefore, everything has in it an element of truth, element of absolute reality, 
element of that which is not subject to comings and goings. Otherwise, Allah Azza wa Jal. You raise an interesting point about uh, the light ultimately converting to energy, and that obviously would bring us to the earth and the temporal world. So the earth being a nursery and incubation, would that be the logical sequence? Yes, in a way, if we uh, accept the theory or the idea that in truth there is that perfect light that is timeless, that is not subject to space, that is not restricted by time, that is beyond any possibility of us to measure it, contain it. In other words, it is the sacred light. From that comes the electromagnetic fields and the spectrum from which there is a tiny little bit which is visible light. The rest is all unseen. Then there are other lights that we, uh, which we uh, use and we refer to and we live by, but they're not often called as light, such as consciousness or life itself. You and I are alive and we say, is the fellow still conscious or not? That's another light which accompanies, if you like, what we discern as light and shadows. So there is also consciousness. That's another form of subtle energy, which we don't know where it is, how it is. In the last 20, 30 years, in the West especially, there are dozens of some exceptionally scholarly books on consciousness. And some are more popular books. And then, of course, the neurological side of sciences the last 10, 15 years with the mapping of the brain and all of that is an enormous amount of interest in the world mm -hmm. now as to what is this consciousness. For a person like me, I read in it, it is what accompanies light. It's another, if you like, form of energy that is not defined, not confined, not the usual energy that we can measure Mm -hmm. in heat or in speed of electrons or whatever, which is interchangeable with matter. So I, as a living Muslim, as a lover of Quran, I see in it that that too is another accompaniment of light, which is the gift of the light giver, which overflows from the sacred. That is why life is sacred. That is why if Quran says, if you kill one person, you have killed the whole of humanity. If you bring one person to life, you've brought all of humanity. So the foundation is Allah. And that is, the, again, the foundation of our deen, that la ilaha illallah. In truth, there is none other than that sacred light. Would you say that pure consciousness is light? And, and of course, there are levels of con uh, consciousness. Um, would you be able to yes. elaborate on that? Well, uh, there is again this idea or a model that in truth, in absoluteness, there is pure consciousness. There is sacred consciousness. There is absolute consciousness. Uh, there is that principle consciousness. God, Allah, Noor, whatever we like to allude to it from. At least six, seven thousand years, human beings have caught a glimpse of this absoluteness. Even people who had, if you like, multiples, deities and gods and so on, they often also had a reference to a higher god of gods, or Nurul Anwar. Or, so there is absolute consciousness from which 
emanates infinite levels, spheres of consciousness. The, uh, the, in the womb, you, ha you have uh, the growing fetus has consciousness. The mother feels it. People, mm -hmm. And until that birth then arises, if you like, the potential of multitudes of human consciousness. The baby, the mother, the protection of a three months, four months old baby is not the same uh, as when we treat a young uh, child. Not the same when we think of or discuss a teenager or a grown-up person. We expect that consciousness to grow. Awareness of awareness of awareness of awareness, awareness of others, awareness of context, circumstances, situations. So consciousness, as far as I am concerned as a person, is ever-growing ever-changing, but its root, its essence, is sacred, is divine. That's why we believe that wherever you turn, there is that light. Meaning, there is that supreme consciousness which gives rise to personal consciousness, individual consciousness, individual awareness, therefore, individual accountability. So that brings us the individual awareness to individual needs, desires, whims, and correspondingly, Allah's guidance and commands. Absolutely. The, the relevancy of, inherent relevancy of Allah's commands. Absolutely. Allah's yeah. prohibition, the boundaries. If I, as an individual, do not accept boundaries, physical, mental, behavioral, condition, all of these things, if I don't accept limitations, then it is unlikely for me to be at the shoreline of the limitless. So it is part and parcel of, if you like, duality, that I, a limited person, within me lies a ruh that has limitlessness. I, as a human being who was born and will die, within me lies a soul that is not going to be subject to physical death or destruction or annihilation. That is why we believe in continuation of an aspect of me after death. So that comes to the spectrum as you described in your earlier discussions of the ruh at one end of the spectrum and the self or the nafs at the other end. And the nur spreading from the ruh depending on the behavior and conduct of the nafs. And that would be in correlation to its obedience to Allah's command. Yes, but there is also, although they are, there is a spectrum, yeah. but the other end of spectrum is totally dependent on the, uh, the beginning of the spectrum. Okay. In other words, my nafs, my ego, my lower self, is there simply because of the higher self. In other words, I can't even say I, let alone evaluate it or say this is a, a stupid self or this mm -hmm. is a shaitanic self, unless it is illumined by the Rahmani self, by the Nuri self. So they are, for sake of illustration, if you like, represent two ends of the spectrum. But in truth, they are never, ever separate. In other words, the nur of Allah is never, ever separate from all of the shadows as well. So that is why we have to end or reach a point where we are constantly aware of the essence, of the presence. It is for that reason also in our salat, one of the most important conditions of benefiting from the Salah, 
or being recharged by Salah is the presence of the heart. If my heart is absent in my concerns about worries about my worldly situation, then my Salah is mostly also formal and ritualistic. Mm -hmm. But if my presence is there, I have already performed my ablution, I've sealed myself, I've now disappeared from anything that disturbs me, my mind is calm, my heart is present, then I will benefit from my Salat maximally. I'll be recharged in putting things in perspective that my worldly worries are not so big, not, not, not a big deal. So I'm constantly recharged, you see. So another way of saying that if we are attentive in the presence of Allah Almighty, we are intentive. Precisely. Yeah. That's I, I, I'd like you to elaborate uh, a little bit more, uh, but still keeping the subject of the spectrum of the remembrance of Allah and dhikrullah, the meaning of dhikr, its purpose, and ultimately the fruit of dhikr. You see, as a child, uh, I grew up with only remembrance of my little pleasures, running around, you know, exercising my, if you like, balances on the, uh, on the little tree or jumping on the, on the uh, playing instruments. or it, it is coming into harmony in a physical way. A child wants to, the up and the down and the sound and the taste. and the, This is the child's life. But by the time one is in 9, 10, 11, there is a very strong emotional also growth that one begins to develop. We want to please others. Uh, a 9, 10, 11 year old child likes to participate in the house and with the guests and with the parents and with the extended family, which is becoming less and less. That is why, in a way, our children nowadays are deprived of this multi-layer mm -hmm. consciousness of others, of the extended family or of the tribe. You know, until 70, 80 years ago, an average Arab, even though they were not nomadic, they may have been city Arabs or bush Arabs or whatever, mountain Arabs, they would have a very strong tendency of regarding the tribe as their principle. Nowadays, it is only the person as a principle, then the family, and then... So we are, in a way, losing that multidimensionality of connection and connectivity to the so-called others. So the growth is natural from limited consciousness, very survival type of consciousness, to baby or to a human, to a full grown up human being, conscious altogether of the so-called self. And then maturity brings me to the point of consciousness of dhikr. Because I know it's not enough. How much do I have to live and work and struggle to satisfy myself. It doesn't end. You know, the love for wealth, the love for, and these are again, loves of the divine names, al-ghani. That's why everybody wants to be wealthy, 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 beyond measure. I had many opportunities in my life asking people who were very powerful, successful business people, how much will be enough? If you corner them, you say, maybe 10 billion, whatever. <laughs> then after a little while, you say, not really, no. I mean, why not a hundred billion? What? So it's limitless. It's because the ruh in me, which knows al-ghani, that reality, that truth, that light, which is beyond wealth, and it reflects upon the so-called me, 
So the so-called me wants that. So it will never be satisfied by a limited amount until dhikr begins to come in. So dhikr of the higher, awareness of the higher, remembrance of the higher, begins by putting away my concern, my, if you like, love, my attachment to the lower. So it's no use saying dhikr Allah, dhikr Allah, dhikr, unless I have stopped doing dhikr of other than Allah. Other than Allah is anything I can discern. My family, my people, my, all of which are important. But if I am still occupied by dhikr of other than the absolute, I'm caught in it. So I must attend to the other than the absolute. Do my best, do my responsibilities. Do, and then comes the time that I say Allahu Akbar and disappear into a realm that is beyond, if you like, this consciousness. So prostration is, the Prophet reminds us, it is mi'raj al-mu'min. You go into another zone of consciousness that is not discernible. It is joy, it is thrill, it is boundless. That is where we get recharged. Mm -hmm. So dhikr of Allah, first and foremost, means no awareness, no remembrance, no concern, of anything that is existential. That is the entry. Otherwise, the key doesn't turn. And uh, dhikr implicit in that is, uh, by, by its meaning remembrance, is uh, to recall of being there. That's it. Uh, that's, it's an experience before you before, come into, exactly. into temporal existence. Brilliant, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. In other words, that light of Allah that I am after was there before the shadows of creation, as you say. And then the creation becomes unimportant, detached. Exactly. In that phase, in that level of consciousness, they are no longer focused upon. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So that takes us to the next stage, which is tawakkalullah, mm. trust in God. Mm. Because once there is a perfection of the remembrance, mm. then there is complete trust. Now we say again, that comes after, as the Prophet had advised, sallallahu his people, اِعْقَلْ وَتَوَكَّلْ do your bit, use your aql, use mm -hmm. your intellect, use your reason, do your worldly part. Have you tethered your camel first? Then have tawakkul. But you just let the camel go astray. It's not easy to get it back. And you know, it's not a small thing interacting with the camel. And our deen is nearly a third of the Quran and the culture is a camel culture. Mm -hmm. Until now, there are more than 6,000 terms in Arabic to do with the camel. So tether it first, otherwise try and catch it after it has gone into the desert. Mm -hmm. Impossible, you know, not an easy thing. As many people who had this new experience to using a camel, riding on a camel. You know. So first, have you used your intellect? Have you used your reason? Have you done your part as far as your human responsibilities? then I now leave it to Allah. So for that reason, people say nowadays in our present world, there is so much increase of stress and stress management and stress. You, stress is part of life. If there is no stress, there is no life. But where is the limit of it? Have you done your bit towards the family, towards the work, towards the job, towards your... If you have done it, then stop it. Then there's nothing... Then tawakkul. Leave the rest to Allah who has designed it, created it, and I am part of that creation. So I did what I 
can, according to my memory, experience, faculties, wisdom, after that, leave. This is what we have to learn, mm -hmm. you see, both. The Quran makes reference uh, to the word wilayat, uh, awliya, wali, brotherhood, solidarity, would you say also friends of Allah? And would you elaborate on this? Because many people would go into the path of haqiqa, obviously ending up in the sharia. And there are those who start with the sharia and eventually end up with the haqiqa. So in the course of our evolution historically, uh, these friends of Allah. We all are, we all aspiring to be friends of Allah because we want all the attributes of Allah, all of the... Uh, so-called asma and the attributes and the qualities and the names of Allah we love. Who doesn't want to be the, uh, generous? Who doesn't want to be, uh, you know, expressing compassion and rahmaniyya and rahim? So we all love Allah's names. Uh, so all of us want and desire to be close to that, to be befriending those. Friendship implies resonance, proximity. Uh, intimacy. So if you wanted in the past to be close to a powerful man or a king, you want to know who is his friend. So mm. you befriend the friend. So as you, that is how you enter. So the and name then, friend... And then you get judged by the company you keep. Exactly. You are as good as the company you keep. Yes. So you know a person much more by who are his friends, who are his family. You say he comes from a good family, good parents, therefore he is more likely to be reliable in responsibility, in accountability, in honesty, and so on. So, friends of Allah are those who have, in other words, recognized the lower consciousness, personal consciousness, and realized that this consciousness is only there because of higher consciousness, because of Allah's light, because of supreme consciousness. So they want to refer constantly to that higher consciousness. What does Allah say? And the Quran is full of it. Anibu ilallah, ruddu ilallah, So to return back to the absolute. In other words, we're living in a relative realm. We don't deny the relative. One minute one is happy, one minute is more happy, one minute is less happy, one day is good. One... But the more we refer to the absolute, the more balanced will that relative be. Mm -hmm. So the more I remember Allah, the more I am befriending that truth, the more I think I can be more friendly to others, including enemies. A time comes that the Quran describes it, It is a point comes in one's rise in that consciousness that you even have pity upon your enemies. You don't see the enmity, you just see an ignorant person living in darkness. Is no longer survival. You are now at the point of arrival. You see it from the light of Allah. You see, that is why it says also be cautious with people of haqiqah because they see with nur of Allah. And that is the ultimate nur. That is the nur of anwar. And we all strive towards that. Vaya sharia. Sharia is the package of adab, courtesy, do's and don't, accountability until such time you find Sharia is none other than part of Haqiqah. And Haqiqah will only lead us to Sharia, inseparable. Again, duality. Everything in this life is based on duality. 
Sheikh, it brings us to the end of the first part and uh, I think we are just dipping our toes in the ocean to get the depths of so many other uh, topics that are mentioned in this book and we will take a short break. Shukran. Thank you. Wassalamu alaikum. Thank you. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh This is a continuation of the first series that we started earlier and this is the second part with the distinguished presence of a very eminent and world-renowned scholar Sheikh Fadlullah Al-Hayri, the author of many, many books, amongst which the discussion we are having today is the essential message of the Qur'an. And once again, we are very delighted to have you, Your Excellency, Sheikh, for this uh, wonderful opportunity. And as I've said earlier, it's our first occasion for Al Ansar TV in collaboration with ITV and we are very honored with your presence. You said at the last time about uh, the Big Bang and the creation and ultimately about uh, the temporal existence here and of course Zikrullah which is the remembrance of our descent in order for us to know our ascent. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on creation itself and why was creation in the first place? Essentially, the nature of human being is based on duality, is based on all the changes and the ups and the downs that we experience. But equally within that, there is a drive in every human being to arrive at a point where there is only absolute perfection, if you like, the ultimate light. We are within the world of relativeness, good and the bad, and up and the down, seeking the absolute. In other words, we are seekers of God. We're seekers of truth. We're seekers of Allah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sheikh, we, we concluded the first session at the point where uh, you, you elaborated on dhikr, uh, meaning remembrance of Allah. And also that with remembrance, it implies that we were there before. And as a result, we then understand our descent and hence an mm-hmm. understanding of our ascent. Mm-hmm. So at this stage when we are still, uh, if you can put it the other way, at the U-bend, so to speak, at the level of the descent, which is creation itself, what is and what was the purpose of creation in the first place? Perhaps you could uh, elaborate on that. Descent and ascent and all of these dualities are part of nature itself. In other words, whatever I as a human being experience, whatever I look for, It is to sort out connection between the seen and the unseen, the up and the down, the good and the bad, driven by a force 
which drives me ultimately to a point of constant, perpetual bliss. We're all seekers of joy, which has no beginning and no end. Mm -hmm. All of the ups and downs in this world, the pleasures, which will also lead to displeasures, are part and parcel of, if you like, the descent of Adam. There are worldly issues. It has, I have friends, I have enemies. I have health, I have ill health. But I'm all the time driven to go beyond the limitations of all of these dualities, of all of the limitations within the constraints of this existence. So the, if you like, the parable or the metaphor of the Adamic descent, Adam was in the garden. He was experiencing the absolute paradise, in mm -hmm. a sense. But the rise of the mind, the rise of that discernment, discrimination of what is this garden? How can I remain in absolute garden? How can I experience eternity? Because khuld, in a sense, in the Quran, meaning that which is beyond time. So if I want to know that which is beyond time, I must first experience that which is in time. I must descend to that which is limited by space and time in order to transcend it to the absolute consciousness, if you like, to the sacred consciousness, to divine consciousness, which is beyond space and time. So I must first accept limitations. I must accept sharia. I must ex accept boundaries and boundaries and limitations and responsibilities. And I must accept all of that which is within the world in order for me to be able to transcend it to the light which has created the world, to the divine light, mm -hmm. to dhikr. So I must be caught in the mental, if you like, gymnastics and the mental, if you like, disturbances in order for me to now willfully choose to transcend it. So it is part and parcel of being in this world, but not of this world. Mm. So. And uh, the saying of Allah Almighty, I was a hidden treasure and I wish to be known. So I created. Would that then be the purpose? Well, I, each one of us experiences ever-changing lights and shadows. But we want the light of lights, and that is the treasure. We want to be constantly related to, we want to refer to a light that has no shadows. And that is the ultimate treasure. We want absolute security without denying the search for relative security. In this world, we grow as adults, within this realm of this is better, this is even better than that, this is higher, this is subtler, until such time we realize we are really looking for the sacred. We are looking for the absolute 